You're listening to the Grim Tidings Podcast, interview with Sean Rodden. Our next guest on the Grim Tidings Podcast is an entrepreneur residing, working, and writing in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Born and raised in Oakville, Ontario, he grew up with skates and hockey sticks, hiking shoes, canoes, heavy weights, and hard rock, and lovingly dog-eared copies of the Cimmerillion, Homer's Iliad, and volumes of Greek, Norse, and Celtic mythology. He finished his first epic fantasy novel, Whispers of War, in the spring of 2014, publishing independently through CreateSpace in May of the same year. The Grim Tidings podcast welcomes Mr. Sean Rodden to the show. Sean, thanks for hanging out tonight, sir. No problem. Good to hear you guys. Glad to have you on. Um, Definitely going to talk about Whispers of War. So that's your first epic fantasy novel that you have out. Uh, available at Amazon. Go ahead and just give us maybe like an elevator pitch of Whispers of War and tell us about the book. Well, Whispers of War is really uh, the first half of a duology that's kind of like a prologue to an ongoing series. Happens about 30 years before the main story, but is essential in introducing what the main characters and what the story is and building the world and why the world is all of a sudden in turmoil once again after so many years of peace. So what it really is, is that uh, I really like the, I guess, the classic fantasy aspect of things where there's a delineation between good and evil, where um, the good guys are good and the bad guys are good. The good guys might have some bad qualities, bad guys might have some good qualities, but there's still that delineation between light and dark, almost a Manichaean approach to the philosophy of the world. And because uh, you can be a really bad guy, but if you, if you do one good thing, it doesn't change you. You're still a bad guy. But if you're a good guy and you do one bad thing, that does change you. And that's why I can't really grasp a lot of the, I guess, lead characters in a lot of the modern fantasy because I can't identify with them. I don't like them. I don't want to hear about them. So I thought there might be a time where you can blend the two, the grimmer, darker side of man's nature with classic fantasy, make it more realistic, and reach both camps. So that's what I tried to do. And so you decided to go with the self-publishing route. Now, self-publishing, indie publishing, that's uh, one topic that we often uh, discuss here uh, on the show. Uh, What made you to kind of go decide with with the indie route for uh, getting this book out? Well, I had tried to, uh, well, without agents, but I had tried approaching some of the larger publishers over the years, because this book took me over 12 years to write, and the first version took about seven, then I put it on the shelf for about five years, then took a half a year or so to add some stuff to it. But I was just frustrated with the response. And I know people say, if, if, you, if you hear no, write a better book. And I say, no, if I hear no, I'll just look for another yes. right? But uh, it's, it's like the fat guy at the dance, he gets tired of hearing no. So I decided to go off on my own with some advice from somebody who had been in the publishing industry for a long time. He actually suggested I go off on my own and he had, you know, 20 years experience. So I tried that. He said, and someone's going to notice you at some point. And so I just keep my fingers crossed and hope someone notices me. So far, the reviews are very good for Whispers of War. Your cover is is pretty solid. We just had Holly Heisey on the show. We were talking about 
uh, great cover art, and I think that you, uh, you've got the goods as far as the cover goes for the book. Um, how, how has the reception been for you since you've uh, released it to the masses? How, how have readers responded to you? It's actually been fantastic. You know, I'm not selling millions of books, but everyone that reads it seems to want to contact me and be my friend or leave a, leave a review, although not every, everyone's leaving a review. is more like one in a hundred do, but hey, I'll take what I can get, right? So those are pretty good odds, I think, right? Those are pretty good stats. And since all, all the, my first 40 were all five stars, so that made me feel good. And the 41st was four stars, but I'll keep it. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not complaining. I I really enjoy the fact that people are feeling the way I felt, like a combination of the grit and the grimness of modern fantasy with some little bit harsher characters, combined with the good and evil white knight type thing of high fantasy in the classic sense. That people there is a market for it, and people are actually gobbling it up. So I'm happy. I wasn't always happy, but I'm happy now. Speaking of marketing, what kind of approach have you taken to marketing your novel? Have you used social media or have you used any kind of services to get it in more hands? Active marketing? Nothing really. Uh, might be the lazy approach. I just put it out there. I talk about it on a couple of fan pages like uh, the Grim Dark Writers page. And there's a Steven Erickson page that I'm on where there's a lot of people there that really, really liked my book and the news spread fast through that page. Got lots of sales through them. I've called a couple of bookstores. Uh, had one of the books locally, well, bookstores locally was carrying it, and I've done a lot of signings. But that's more just to go out and meet people and have a couple beers, right? It's not, <laughs> it's not really any marketing plan. It's just more like a day out to have some fun with my boy kind of thing. I have heard some people that don't like the sort of grind of marketing uh, have released books and and gotten good response by by not doing that much so that that is a that is a legitimate uh marketing approach that i've seen kind of just let it let it exist and just see what happens yeah as long as you're not doing it for the money if you're doing it for the love of it and doing it for fun and or maybe doing it for your family that you just want them to have something that you wrote you know because it'll outlast you right (laughs) so i just did it for fun although sometimes when the darkness came and you're frustrated it's like why am i doing this and then the next day i'm okay again okay so i think uh, the uh, any any writer should approach with the mindset that this might not work but i'm going to have fun trying absolutely now as far as the you said it was a duology how is the next book coming along and when can readers expect to read that one I'm about 40% along. I slowed down the last month or two. It's picking up again. Uh, maybe a year is what I'm shooting for, give or take. I could go and write a couple. I'm a slow writer, generally speaking, on average, about a page a day. And this one's going to be slightly longer than the first volume, maybe by 100 pages or so. But the story is there. The story has been in my head for 30 years, and it really hasn't changed much. More details have been put in over the years, but... So it's not going anywhere. I don't write it down and plot it out paragraph by paragraph or chapter by chapter. I don't do any any sort of outline. So it's hard to tell the time frame because one chapter could take two months or it could take two days if I really get going on it. But I'm shooting for a year. Between book one and book two, there's, there's a reason why I split it off where I did. Book one is before the war. Book two is during the war and slightly after. But it's also, the book one was the building and the book two, the writing style is slightly different. 
And so I thought it would be a good idea to split it up where I did. And that's where we stand now with that. So hopefully a year. Excellent. So one year. Well, when that comes out, uh, we will definitely uh, spread the word and let folks know about that. Uh, Do you have a working title for it? Yeah, it's Roars of War, which is really hard if you have a speech impediment. But (laughs) I'm virtualist when it comes to that, because I did when when I was a kid. I couldn't pronounce my R's, and I'll probably miss a few now, too. But uh, And I didn't even drink back then, so... Yeah, Roars of War. <laughs> Say that ten times fast. Roars of Roars of War. <laughs> I actually have a, uh, a nine-year-old who <laughs> currently struggles with articulating the R's. Uh, he's in speech therapy at school and stuff, but uh, yeah, sometimes it's a, it's a, a, a bit humorous. Uh, <laughs> That's what cured me. I, I was in grade two when I, when I couldn't pronounce my R's, and they kept slamming the table. Uh, the teacher just I'd leave at two o'clock or something just before the end and I'd spend an hour in a special class and if I didn't roll my R she'd slap her hand on the table like really loudly so I don't think they can do that anymore but hell it worked for me (laughs) (laughs) yeah things have changed a bit uh, yeah I think and you mentioned in your bio too that you've you've, uh, studied Greek Norse and Celtic mythology as well including the Homer's Iliad has been some of your foundational reading can you give us maybe an idea of how your study of mythology has played a role in your writing well I think if you look back to the really old writings and all the cultures it was all fantasy it was all even high fantasy or classic fantasy but there was a lot of tragedy thrown in too and uh, different translations will be more poetic than others if they're trying to rhyme the words from Greek to English I don't know but um, I found that it's the, uh, the the Norse came later. It was first the Greek, taught by my dad when I was a kid, and then, then the Irish in school. And then, because the Irish was a little bit related to the Norse, after the Vikings came came to Ireland, they kind of mishmashed a bit. And so I, I got interested in the Norse mythology. And the one thing I say is when people say, you know, this the Grimdark hasn't been, been around, well, then they haven't read Homer. They haven't read the Iliad. The two main characters both die, right? And uh, it's pretty brutal, and a lot of bad stuff happens, a lot of tragedy, and it, it wasn't invented 15 years ago. It's been around for thousands of years, and they were a lot better at it than we are. Yeah, I think uh, the advent of grimdark as a term for fantasy kind of came after this wave of kind of darker style fantasy when the tradition of Tolkien had been around for a while. So people do kind of forget like uh, a lot of the Greek writers were pretty pretty fucking depressing when they well they must you know. the, the word tragedy in greek means goat story right the story of goats it makes you wonder what the fuck happened to that goat that's <laughs> <laughs> one poor guy i don't even i don't i don't want to know but <laughs> maybe, maybe martin will write about it one day Mark Twain, Stephen King, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Anne Rice, Emily Dickinson, J.K. Rowling, these are the names of just some of many authors who've been affected by depression in one way or another. Though the reasons why aren't necessarily written in stone, it would appear that in many cases, writers seem to have a certain susceptibility to anxiety and depression. Scott Lynch is the author of the fantasy series The Gentleman Bastards, which includes The Lies of Locke Lamora, Red Seas Under Red Skies, and The Republic of Thieves. Book four in the series, The Thorn of Amberlane, was due out in just a couple of months, but Scott just recently announced a delay in the publication date to the dismay of many eagerly awaiting fans. He posted a blog to shed some light on what caused the delay, and the short post reads as follows. 
Dear readers and fans of The Gentleman Bastards, I'll lay it out as plainly as I can. With the utmost regret, we have been compelled to move The Thorn of Aberlane from its expected autumn 2015 release date to a 2016 date. I requested an opportunity to write this note so I could emphasize how little this is the fault of anyone but myself. My publishers around the world have, in fact, held the door open for a length of time that is somewhere between heroic and insane. The fault is mine. The severity of my ongoing anxiety attacks has simply made it impossible to turn the manuscript in and commit to the accelerated production process our original release date would have required. While this is not the outcome we'd hoped for, we have every expectation that this will ultimately do more good than harm. I will continue to try to keep you more closely informed of Thorne's progress, and I don't think it will be long before we'll be able to announce that the manuscript is secure and the production process has begun. We're very close. Although I withdrew from several public appearances in early June on account of those same anxiety issues, I am now fairly confident that I'll be able to maintain the rest of my planned public appearances for 2015, including Worldcon, World Fantasy, and a few others yet to be announced. Cheers and many thanks for your continued patience and support. Signed, Scott Lynch. Uh, we, of course, here at the Grim Tidings Podcast, we do wish... Scott Lynch, uh, the best, and we will gladly wait as long as it takes for book four to be written and published. Uh, we also applaud Scott for pretty much cutting through the bullshit about his personal issues. Scott really didn't have to say anything other than, sorry, I'm running behind on my schedule. It'll be a bit longer. We'll keep you posted. That would have been satisfactory to me. I can wait. Uh, but he was honest and he said, hey, I'm dealing with some personal shit that's pretty much messing with every aspect of my life, including my absolute favorite thing to do, writing fantasy novels. We discussed the post in our Facebook group, Grim Dark Fiction, Readers and Writers, and today I think we'd just like to take some time to talk about depression and anxiety and how it relates to writers and the creative process. So, Sean Ryden, let's start with you, and we'll just dive in. If you could just maybe tell us a bit about how your experiences with being both a writer and someone who's dealt with similar issues that Scott Lynch talked about. Yeah, well, it, it, for me, it was a it was a strange thing. I didn't know what was going on. I know now because I'm older and wiser. But when I was young, there were times where I just felt sad or angry or both, and it would come and go. And you know, it it, it wouldn't really be. At least I didn't think at the time it, it wouldn't be debilitating. But it makes you make decisions and do things that you know you you look at back at yourself and say, why did I do that, or why didn't I do this. And it kind of went went away in my 20s, probably due to beer. Been self-medicating after my mom died. I was 24. I, I the next four years are very vague, if at all. I don't even remember them. But I, I I came out of it. I came out of it strong, and I know I had some really good times. But uh, self-medicating was not the way to go. And um, it was just beer. I wasn't into anything strange, but just uh, long nights, lots of beer, and you know, having fun, but what young men do, right? I just took right. it to extremes. And, but I look back now because that's not really me, right? And I look back now and I, I can see why I did it, but I didn't know then. It didn't happen until after I got married. When I got married, I got diagnosed with depression. <laughs> I guess we all do <laughs> uh, in one way, shape or form. But I, yeah, actually, it was right after I got married. I got diagnosed with, with depression, and then the doctor, who's my doctor, is really good. He explained stuff to me, and and then I sat back and I looked back on my life. And said, "Oh, he's right. This is everything. Is 
is falling into place here. And then after I uh, became unmarried, the depression seemed to go away for a while. And, you know, uh, you start a family with another woman and who's wonderful. And my kids are great. They came along. They're, they're wonderful. So everything in my business was doing well. It, it was wonderful. I wrote my first book and got it out there. It was wonderful. And then every year around Christmas and every, well, just before Christmas and then around June, it's cyclical. This sadness or darkness or anger would just come and I wouldn't want to do anything. I wouldn't want to be anywhere. I wouldn't want to talk to anybody. And I couldn't understand why, because, you know, why is it here now? And it wasn't there then. And it gets frustrating. Mine was depression rather than anxiety. I'm not, not a very anxious person at all. I'm too laid back. But um, the depression I found in my case could be completely and totally destructive of my life because I don't want to do anything. I don't want to work. I don't want to get up. All I want to do is sleep. And, but once again, my, my doctor's great. With the first bout of depression, when it wasn't cyclical, we tried some drugs and that didn't really work, work with me. The medications didn't work because I didn't feel like myself and I was making decisions which weren't me. So we, I kind of healed on my own from that, I suppose, after the stress of the marriage went away, maybe, I don't know. But when I removed the stressor for those years, everything was fine. But then it came back and it was explained to me, it's not me, it's nothing I can do. It's just that there's a chemical imbalance, sort of. The drugs aren't going to help you. Try diet and exercise. Well, that's great if I can get out of bed, <laughs> right? Exactly. But you have to force yourself. And I got a wonderful family. My wife's wonderful. They're supportive. The kids are very supportive. And eventually, one day, you just put your feet on, under you and you get up and you get out of bed. And that's what I did. But when the book wasn't doing as well, and it, I was blaming the book. I thought the book was making me sad when actually it was something else making me sad. And I was externalizing it. And I started hating writing and hating my book and thinking it sucked. And you know, what, what the hell am I doing? It's, and, you know, it's your lifelong dream. And then you're thinking, you know, well, what's the, what's the point of having dreams? Kind of thing. That, that's the mindset you get and you can't control what you think almost. But then it goes away. It always does in my case. And uh, this time it wasn't that bad. It was dark, but uh, it wasn't lingering. I didn't, you know, lose my business or anything. I didn't stop writing completely or delete everything off the computer, which I've been known to do. And uh, I came out of it and just preparing for the next boat, basically. Do you find that perhaps writing about darker subject matter can contribute to depression at all do you do you feel like if you're writing kind of i don't uh, think so i because when i'm down i write things that are up and when i'm up uh, i write things that are down it's, it's like i'm almost searching for a happy medium what i mm -hmm. do think is that there might be some kind of genetic marker with creative people I don't know if there's any, it's been any studies in Harvard or you know, they study everything. They must have studied this by now. Uh, creative people are more prone to depression or the big one is bipolar, a disorder because a lot of creative people are prone to bipolar disorder, which can be related to or it can either be related to or be a type of depression or be combined with depression. So this mental struggle of serotonin balance and all that neat stuff seems to be very prevalent among creative people. I'd love to see, see statistics and some studies done of 100,000 people and, and see if it really is, if we really are more prone. Maybe it's needed for the 
for, for the creative spark to fly. My feeling kind of with what I've dealt with depression, usually I don't feel like it's necessarily connected to my writing, but it's the same thing. Like you said, you uh, put the blame on all these different things. So for example, sometimes I feel like depression is like a hydra, like it, like it has one head that comes up. Like, for example, I'm not making enough money. And then, then you think, well, you know, I can control that. And then you cut that head off. Yeah. But then two more heads pop up and then they're like, hey, you suck at writing or yeah. you're a piece of shit or whatever. Our and you're like, oh, down. yeah. So it's one of those things where when it rains, it pours kind of thing. I don't, I don't think depression, like a bout of depression is one of those things. You know, people that don't deal with it as much, they tend to say, ah, you know, get over it or you're just worrying too much. But for people that deal with it on a regular basis, uh, sometimes it doesn't even have to be triggered by anything. You may just wake up one day and you just feel down for whatever reason. Exactly. And then the, the, the big monster rears its ugly head and something that wouldn't bother you the day before is like crippling that day. And a lot of people, when they're depressed, they, they want to be alone. And that's the worst thing to do, I think, because you need the help. You need the support, the encouragement of the people around you. Because it's, it's no longer really, a, you know, he's crazy or anything. It's, it, we're way past those days. People understand that it's a physical, physiological problem of chemicals in the brain that can be altered by something as simple as more water or more food, different food or meds, right? And um, when people go away from their comfort zone and from those that support them, they're not doing themselves any favors. That's what I found is that if I withdraw, when that happens, it takes a lot longer to come back. Yeah, and, and that maybe ties into to writing also. Is the, you know, writing is a very solitary activity. You know, you can't do writing usually with a bunch of people talking to you. Yeah. So that definitely contributes maybe to depression is because writers do have to be alone a lot of the time and. And when you're depressed and you're alone and you're and you're dealing with your story and you don't know where it's going or whatever, it can definitely. I mean, for me, when I'm depressed, I find just like going outside helps. Even like if I'm sitting inside all day and you know going, you know, what the fuck am I doing with my life or whatever, having one of those moments. Sometimes just a change of scenery helps, or or even if I'm writing something that's not clicking or whatever. Starting something new may help and just, you know, experimenting with different stuff. I think I'm more on the anxiety end because I live in Japan. I deal with a lot of anxiety about various things. Like sometimes when I go out in public, I freak out about crowds and stuff like that. And I think that ties into my personality. Also, I always worry about everything and I have problems with a diet and, you know, I don't exercise that much. And I think that contributes also. Yeah. So I think I think writers they have to they have to balance out their desk time with you know physical activity or you know eating eating properly th these kind of things. Uh, not to say this will completely eliminate your depression, but um, oh, it certainly helps. Certainly. It helps a lot. Yeah, it certainly helps. Yeah, e eating right and living right and sheer willpower. Just make yourself get up off the couch, go outside, sit on the porch in the sun for a day. You know, just just something. Get yourself moving. And it seems that once it goes, it goes quickly with me. Like I said, it's cyclical. I can almost set my watch by it. And some years, it's almost 
I don't notice it so much. It just, you know, a little grumpy may, maybe or a little bit more negative than my usual negative self. But it's uh, something that I've learned to deal with. And I think um, once I actually get in better shape myself again and uh, things start rolling once more, then uh, I'll have more of a defense mechanism against it. Do you think, like, for example, Scott Lynch is a high-profile author now. Do you think people are more prone to depression when there's all that pressure behind them as writers? Or do you feel when people are at the beginning stages, they struggle with it more? Well, I think they don't really have a choice because it's chemical. Uh, Outside factors can set it off because a lot of times it's set off by stress, which is caused by outside factors. But the chemical imbalance remains. I think it's more of a pre-existing condition that when you become successful, more people know about it because whether you announce it or not, people talk and it gets out, things like that get out. So you become, you feel like the whole world's hasn't happened to me, but who who am I? But uh, the whole world's looking at you and sometimes they might even feel like they're, you're being judged, right? Because you never know when you, when you go into that darkness, your, your logic is askewed and, like like you said, walking down the street for you, because because of the crowd, you might just feel so confined and think the world's closing in on you where the day before it wouldn't have bothered you at all. So there's really no way to say whether it's when you're starting off writing or when you're very successful, but I think it would be harder for somebody if he thinks he's being judged and watched. And that's probably why Mr. Lynch came out and said what he did. Because here it is, here are the facts, this is me talking, this isn't someone else uh, telling you what's wrong, these are the facts, I'm dealing with it, thank you for your patience, and kudos to him, that that, that was a brave thing to do. Yeah, it was just great to see the the overwhelming outpouring of um, support for Scott, on social media at least. Not one person said, oh, come on Scott, bring it along, but it was like, Scott, if it takes you 12 years, it takes you 25 years, it takes you however long to uh, complete your manuscript and get the book out, we are willing to wait. I'm very thankful for the uh, community for being so supportive. Myself, though I have grown up, my father was bipolar. Um, I've had other family members who've dealt with depression. So uh, I've had a front row seat and I've experienced it myself. And I'm really glad that uh, Scott um, spoke up and, and highlighted this issue because I think it's, it's great for more people to have an understanding that this isn't just a case of the blues. It's not something that you can just wish away and be better. It's, it, it's an actual condition that really affects people and can affect, affect them negatively um, in a lot of ways. So the more understanding that's out there, uh, the better. Have either of you, Philip or Sean, have you have you ever had a, a time where writing helped you through suffering with these symptoms? I don't necessarily think my writing and depression go hand in hand. I think I've blamed it in the past. Like if something's not working or or whatever, then then I'll say, oh, I'm you know I'm depressed because my writing's not coming out correctly. But I think now I see it as more of Something that just happens, like Sean said, it's it's cyclical. Sometimes it just comes on, and it can be triggered by various things. But I think I think writing for me actually helps a great deal because, especially now that I'm writing stuff that I really have fun writing, I don't feel like I'm writing for a particular genre or anything like that. So I'm kind of enjoying it more than I than I used to. 
Yeah, for me, it was uh, when I was younger, you know, before there was any diagnosis, I would write my moods on paper. It didn't matter what they were, usually the opposite mood. Uh, so there's a lot of up, uplifted. Uh, I, I have this binder called Shadow Songs. There's maybe 200 poems in it, maybe 300, I don't know, uh, from when I was I don't know, about 15 to 25. And uh, it was very therapeutic for me to write back then. After that, uh, then the four years after my mom died, I didn't write very much. If I did, I don't know where I put them. And it became less of a, a therapy to me and more. I just want to get my big story done and get it out there, right? So I don't really do that anymore. So what 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 for you has worked in regards to managing managing depression uh, when it comes on? What has worked best for you as far as helping it out or alleviating it in some some way? I'm a bit lucky if if you want to use that word because I know when it's coming. I know beforehand. Mm-hmm. It is cyclical. I know uh, it's good late late November, early December. In early June to early July in that range is, is when it's going to happen. So I, I can prepare and prepare myself and, you, and my wife and everybody. And uh, is, there were a couple bad days this last June, but it was more if I was sitting at the computer trying to write. And I think after I backed off worrying about the writing, and I had some friends that also, uh, uh, other writers that have you know similar afflictions were helping me. And basically telling me to back off and write write later. Some some of my best stuff came out during those two months, uh, the one before Christmas and this last June. But I basically did step away because I hated it. I hated writing. I hate I hated everything about it. I didn't you know I thought I sucked and but I didn't really think that. And I knew I didn't really think that. But your illogical brain takes your logical brain and even though you you know it makes no sense you still go with the bad feeling rather than the good one so yeah it's because i i know when it's coming i have a bit of an advantage and don't make any big plans for that time but maybe next year we will maybe next year we'll go camping take a week off and try that out or something right who knows yeah, I find that for me, usually physiological problems coincide with my depression. So sometimes I've had numbness in my hands or feet or something like that, or a neck problem or a back problem or tired body. These kind of sometimes, yeah, yeah, these kind of things is usually what makes me more depressed is when my body doesn't feel good. Yeah, so that's definitely a thing. Uh, I want to transition to one more question about readers possibly putting pressure on authors these days because they tend to be harder to impress. Uh, I mean, readers have read just about anything possible. And I think some writers may feel a lot of pressure because they don't feel like their work is original enough or it's not technically good enough or these kind of things. Do you think reader expectations can affect writers also, or is it out of writers' hands? Yeah, I think a lot of that stuff... uh can can affect a writer if the writer lets it affect them. There's a lot of people with strong personalities that really just don't care, not in the bad way. They just they're not going to let other people's pressure affect what they do. In in my case, it's more of a sense of I'm almost 50. <laughs> I got a big story to tell and it's really long and I write slow. Uh so the pressure wouldn't be coming from the readers. It would be coming from me. Because I want to finish it and have a good 20 years to enjoy it, right? 
afterwards. So am I feeling the pressure now? A little bit, because the first book, I took 12, 13 years, and the second one is going to be two years from the prologue to the epilogue. So the pressure is all within me, but it, that doesn't seem to affect my depression or anything like that. My, it doesn't seem to hurt my progress with writing. It just, when it comes, it comes. I have absolutely no, no method. I have no, I'm not writing to a timeline or an outline and I have no method just when it comes it comes I'll, I'll, I'll write myself a text if I have to just to get those few sentences down and I'll, I'll sit at the computer for five minutes or 15 usually never longer than half an hour sometimes an hour on the weekends but uh, and just let it go and when it's finished it'll be finished there is definitely a, a high reader expectation. We live in this age of social media and reviews. We have all this increased exposure to firsthand reader experience. And I think uh, there is a lot of prolific fantasy coming out from everywhere. I mean, publishing industry-wise, there's more books coming out now than there ever has been before. And you've got fantastic writers churning out a lot of words and a lot of quality words. So the bar is set really, really high. And I would I would say, Philip, that you're right. I think not only do readers maybe have a, a high expectation, they almost, I would say, have an unrealistic expectation for absolute blow-me-away edge of your seat, cutting edge fantasy um, coming out. I think readers should have certain expectations, but maybe not set the bar as high. Maybe just appreciate the story for what it is. A good story that's an entertaining read. It doesn't have to transform your life. It doesn't have to make you rethink everything you've ever done before. It doesn't have to be even groundbreaking. It can just be a fun, cool story and just take it for what it is. So I think you have a point with that, Philip. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the big thing right now is the Fantastic Four movie that just came out, and everyone is shitting on it. And I think it's because people have such high expectations about these comic movies now. They think it's got to be awesome, and it's got to have all these different elements, and it's got to be visually stimulating, and it's got to have a great story and great acting and all this kind of stuff. And and the, and the movie's getting pummeled in the reviews because I think people have super high expectations now. I do think that puts a lot of pressure on artists to make sure they're hitting all the right marks or else, you know, even if they do hit all the right marks, that doesn't necessarily consider, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean they'll be successful. So Yeah, it's a snowball ball effect. We, we knew the Fantastic Four movie was going to flop before it even came out. Because they didn't re uh, release the reviews beforehand from the uh, advanced screenings. Uh, normally, they they do, and this was the first movie in ages for for a Marvel movie. I think it's the only one that they didn't re re release the advanced reviews. And when they do that, you just know that they don't want people to hear the the advanced reviews. The reviews were bad. I haven't seen it. I'll probably see it, and I'll probably enjoy it because it's just fun for me, right? I'm not going there to thinking it's the new Bible kind of thing. Fantastic. Yeah. The review, Fantastic Four is the new Bible. <laughs> like, I don't think that'll be, ever be a review. Exactly. Well, the four horsemen, right? They, there were four there, too, weren't there? With the social media now, I mean, you have the internet witch hunts now. When somebody says something wrong, the entire internet focuses their attention. For example, the dentist guy who uh, had a run-in with a lion, uh, pretty much that was the rage of the week where people just went after this guy. And now it's even kind of transitioned to movies and other media where you have 
just the snowball effect of one person saying that it's bad, and then everybody's like, "Oh, it sucks." The, the verdict is is final. There's no there's no room for uh, proper procedure or proper follow through. It's just like that's what it is. Let's but go with firstly, it. it can work in your favor, right? You you can write something that's crap, and everyone seems to hop on board, and a lot of people are standing back, scratching their heads, and saying, "Why is this guy so popular? I don't I don't get it." A lot of uninspired opinions. Yeah, the only opinion that matters is mine. But <laughs> <laughs> I think real life issues are a little bit different than than fiction stuff because real life issues affect people more deeply, whereas. I think fiction maybe shouldn't be looked at so seriously all the time. Uh, I, mean, it, I mean, for a lot of people, it is entertainment, and it's supposed to be fun, and, you know, just enjoy what it is. You know, I remember when Mad Max came out, everybody went ape shit and like, Mad Max is fucking awesome, and it's the best action movie ever, and da-da-da-da-da. And then occasionally people would say, eh, it was okay. And the people were like, what are you talking about? It's awesome. Yeah, that doesn't really affect me. I, I sit back and watch those fights. Uh, sometimes there's some internet fights, because I still, I still believe the entertainer has a responsibility to, to his audience, especially if there are children in his or her audience. So sometimes I, I would kind of half-step in or just delete somebody because I didn't think that their opinion was sane. And uh, so there, there are some neat debates going on sometimes, but if it's just a matter of opinion, there's no point arguing because you're not arguing fact, you're arguing opinion. Man or woman is entitled to that, even if they don't agree with me or you or anybody else. And you just step back and it's, it's a lot easier just to click the off button and go and have a coffee than to talk to somebody who's not seeing things clearly. Well, I think in some regards, people have this interest in arguing with people when it can't be won. Like, there's no way it's going to be won. Yeah. You're not going to win the argument. It's just going to go on. And then what happens when you have an argument, this is in, in real life, even if I have an argument with someone, um, all that happens is I just get more and more pissed off. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't suddenly go, oh, yeah. You're right. Exactly. Let's just. You're not going to convince you, right? It's like they're not. Yeah. They're oh yeah, the sky is green. You know, you're right. Yeah, I hear it. But it's it's also the courage. The I there's a term for it. I forget. But the internet courage that people get when they start insulting you and saying stuff. And right? I say in real life, people don't talk to me that way or to you that way or something because there's a chance you're going to get up and clock them, right? And uh, but there's this kind of courage that a lot of people hide behind their keyboards and spew their hate or their bizarre opinions. It is their opinion; they're entitled to it. But you know, if you're defending it violently and calling people names and stuff because they don't agree with you, then I'd rather not hear your opinion, kind of thing, right? Even if it agrees with mine. <laughs> I think that also ties into the pressure. Uh, it's not pressure on uh, writers so much, but it's pressure on how they handle themselves publicly. If they handle themselves poorly in a public setting like social media, um, that can sometimes kill a career rather than the writing itself. Just spouting certain kinds of stuff, people can say, oh, well, this guy has this political opinion, so uh, I'm not going to read his shit anymore. Yeah, imagine so Lane or that has Hemingway on social media. <laughs> yeah, that would have been horrific. Together? <laughs> that would be classic. And they they uh, uh, they tear apart me and in the modern writers today I'll tell you, but uh, yeah that that uh, that would be clever if um if they actually had access to social media or were like hey, the same people that would be something to hear. 
we always want to have something that's kind of like a, a takeaway from each of our episodes, something that they can put in their hat and save for later. And I think we've definitely given uh, quite a few things that they can absorb from, from tonight. But, you know, untreated depression can lead to much more terrible things happening for people who, who don't take care of themselves. So if anything, listening to this episode, take away, if you have these sort of symptoms and you haven't got treatment, go get treatment, go take care of yourself, take steps to improve your condition, getting medication, you know, seeing a doctor. Um, there's, there's a lot to, to take in. And, and uh, again, I applaud Scott for shedding some light on this issue. In closing, both Philip and Sean, do you guys have any, any sort of recommendations or advice for, for people who might be suffering with this detriment and maybe some advice as to um, what steps they should take to uh, improving themselves? Don't do it alone. Don't fight the war alone. It's a lot harder to win a, a war when you're a one-man army than when you're, you know, you got a whole bunch of family and friend support behind you. Look for help with your friends and family and, and get the right help. That's what I would say. Yeah, I agree on that. Same concept. Uh, but I'll add that sometimes people don't have supportive friends and family. And, yeah. and that's why they turn to the Internet for friends or support or anything. Or even drugs. So if, alcohol, yeah. So if you're, if you're a part of an online community, for example, and you feel comfortable talking to certain people, then reach out to them and say, hey, I'm struggling with depression and you know i'd like to talk to somebody or and and if you don't have that option then professional help is always good just just talking to just talking to anyone that's not going to judge you and they're going to be open with whatever you say is a good thing so if you're really struggling with depression and you're not finding any answers um you know try that option because you know, you don't want to just be stuck in it, you know, for a long time. Yep. Whispers of War is Sean Rodden's uh, novel. You can get it on Amazon right now. Pick up a copy, read it, and enjoy it. Sean, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, share your experiences and your writing with us tonight. For folks who want to find you online, where can they locate you? Uh, the best bet is on Facebook, either on the Whispers of War site, or you can send me over a friend requ uh, request on my own site under my own name, Sean Rodden. Very good, sir. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. We definitely appreciate it. And uh, we wish you the best of luck with Roars of War. And uh, we'll definitely be talking about it uh, once it comes out in about a year or so. Excellent. I appreciate the opportunity, my friends. Yes, thank you very much. Hey, okay, we'll talk to you soon. Visit us online at facebook.com slash the Grim Tidings podcast or hit us up on Twitter at Grim Dark Fiction. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.